Hey guys, Hackersploit here, back again with another video. Welcome back to the CyberTalk series. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be taking a look at uh, you know some various topics that uh, you guys had obviously sent. I know I haven't been active um, with this series, but again, uh, the, the questions have been coming in quite a bit, so I thought why not um, you know make a, an episode that uh, covers some of the more important topics that I've received. As I said, if you want to submit um, your questions for this particular topic, you can do so uh, in one of our Google Sheets um, or our Google uh, request form, whatever you want to call it, uh, and it'll actually give us all the questions and uh, you can specify the topic, etc. And that will be uh, linked in the description section. As I said, I want to make this a weekly affair uh, where I can interact uh, with you guys a little bit more and have a, a good en engagement. Um, so in this particular video, we're going to be taking a look at um, topics ranging from uh, bug bounties uh, to reverse engineering and um, generally speaking, just uh, improving your skills, right? So the first question that we actually got um, was the following. So I'm just going to read it out. Um, so I've completed a lot of practice labs like DVWA, which is the Damn Vulnerable Web Application, uh, OS, Produce Shop, CTFs, etc. But when I jump uh, to a real-life target, I feel very intimidated uh, by the sheer amount of parameters, source code, and I barely understand how can I level up my game. Right, so uh, as far as I can understand this question, uh, what's happening is people, you know, the, this certain individual is practicing, uh, you know, with the vulnerable web applications, and is trying to get a feel for, you know, uh, what vulnerabilities exist within web applications in regards to the OASP top 10 and a, a few more. And secondly, uh, they are trying to learn how to exploit them and how they appear in the wild. Now, as I've said many times, uh, you know, vulnerable web applications and CTFs are a good source of learning how to exploit vulnerabilities, learning the tools used in exploitation, uh, learning about reconnaissance, etc. But uh, when it comes down to real life web applications, as in this case it is, uh, whenever they get into a bug bounty program, what will happen for a beginner is they'll usually try and target all vulnerabilities under the roof, right? So if you look at the OS top 10 list, they'll pretty much target everything and they'll, they'll go very lightly uh, on it. And when I say lightly, what I mean is they'll just try out a few tests. Uh, maybe if they're testing cross-site scripting, uh, they'll look for a, an input field, right? And they'll try and see whether they can get some cross-site scripting. And you know, it's a very shallow approach. And the reason for this is, again, uh, they're under the assumption that they have to test for all uh, these particular vulnerabilities or they have to test all the parameters, etc. Um, so what I would uh, recommend is to start off with one vulnerability, one vulnerability that uh, you are likely to find out in the world. Uh, this, this can be kind of complicated, but a great way of learning is, I think, cross-site scripting, uh, CSRF maybe. Uh, picking one of these, picking one that you enjoy exploiting and one that you understand uh, intuitively and going out in, into uh, and going out into the wild and first of all I would recommend looking for reports uh, online which I know there are plenty for these particular vulnerabilities or the vulnerability that you're interested in exploiting as I said just pick one the reason I say one is because you, very quickly you'll become very adept at that particular vulnerability and you'll be able to file you'll be able to find it out in the wild and of course you you, you learn a lot uh, as you move along but uh, what I would recommend is start off with one vulnerability and uh, stick with it, uh, learn more about it. If it's cross-site scripting, learn everything there is about cross-site scripting, read tons of reports, understand how 
uh, you know, the cross-site scripting vulnerabilities are exploited in, in the real world through reports. And of course, do not focus on the money when you get in. This is something that I have to, you know, keep saying many, many times. Uh, when you do things for money, you'll find that your motivation is going to be significantly decreased whenever you hit a, a roadblock or a wall because, again, your mind, in your mind, uh, you know, you'll, you'll quickly make up or uh, you, you'll quickly, quickly come up with an excuse as to, you know, why you should switch to something else, you know, to, to, to cut it shortly or to cut it short. Uh, you're, you're simply just looking for a, a quick solution or you're, you're simply just trying to do something that requires very little work. So if you're going to get into bug bounties, respect the field, um, understand how web applications work, uh, learn about how vulnerabilities are exploited. And through that process of using OS Juice Shop and Dime Vulnerable Web Application, you learn what vulnerabilities uh, you like or the ones that you understand the most. I recommend starting with them. You don't have to you know, you know, uh, just run with them for 10 years. No, you can obviously switch and learn more, but uh, your, the, the main goal is to understand that uh, how our uh, web applications operate uh, in the real world is very different from CTFs and, um, and uh, you know, vulnerable web applications that have been designed to teach rather than give you, uh, you know, uh, I would say a relatively good skill with various types of vulnerabilities, right? They're just simply trying to take you, uh, take you through how these vulnerabilities are exploited. So that's the first question. That is a good, good question. Um, the second one is a question here. I'm just going to read it out. So I'm currently a I'm currently 31 years old and a network firewall admin at a bank in Toronto. Recently, I've been getting interested into CTFs, pen testing, Python, Red Blue team strategies. Is it too late to start my journey into the path? Well, um, that's a good question. I'm not really sure uh, what you mean when you say this. Is it too late to get started? into this path because firstly you're a firewall admin at a bank which pretty much means you must have some experience with security uh and in, in an enterprise environment which not a lot of people actually get you know getting a job in a bank in regards to security or a security position is is is, is quite a good role because you learn a lot about uh, you know the types of attacks that banks face on a day-to-day -day basis uh, and you know the, you learn about the attack surface, so on and so forth. You you really learn a lot of important stuff. Um, but you've listed out quite a few parts here. Uh, you've listed out CTFs, which I guess encapsulates all of the parts that I'm about to read out for you. So pen testing, Python, red and blue team strategies. So I'm guessing, if I, if I was to guess, you want to get into pen testing and maybe a bit of blue team. But in your case, it looks like you're already in the blue team. Um, so I'll just focus on pen testing and red teaming. And you mentioned that uh, you want to get into this through CTFs. Well, first of all, you're not too old at all. You're just 30, man. That's like, uh, it, it isn't anything in the security field. So the, you, have, uh, you have a lot of time. Uh, so I would stop worrying about time firstly. Stop worrying about competing with youngsters uh, who are getting into pen testing now. And, you know, they might be more skilled than you in certain aspects. but I've seen I've seen this happen quite a bit. Is you know you, you have some of the older, uh, some of the older people, uh, or you know uh, some of the older professionals who are working in the industry, and they see the uh, the new generation coming up, and the new generation is uh, very very tech savvy, as you know. Uh, they they're very very good, very skilled, primarily because there's tons of resources now. 
uh, you know, you have platforms like Hack the Box, Try Hack Me, so on and so forth. So it's very, very easy to level up your skill game and to and, and to push yourself. Uh, but, but that's not an excuse. But for the older generation, it can be slightly demoralizing because now uh, all of a sudden age is a factor and age is important. But when it comes down to learning or bettering yourself, don't focus on others. Focus on yourself. Uh, don't compare yourself to anyone. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. That's an advice, a piece of advice that I, I was given once, and it's helped me tremendously. Uh, so I personally focus on myself as opposed to others. I learn a lot from others. That's, that's a different thing. Learning from others is, is great. But if, if you feel or you have this, this thing in your head that you're, you're too old to get started, then you'll never get started. So to answer your question, what I would recommend is just get started. Don't worry about age and stuff like that. that, that that's all arbitrary stuff that isn't doing you any good, right? Whereas you can take action now and that'll do your whole, uh, it'll do you very, very good, right? Or it will help you quite a bit as you move along. So uh, again, my advice is just start off with CCTFs and uh, you know, just get started at a basic level, focus on one thing at a time, don't get into everything. And that's one of the issues that I've been seeing is because of the environment that we have now with the you know, immense amount of resources available, uh, you know, many people get overwhelmed primarily because, uh, and many beginners get overwhelmed primarily because, because, you know, they're being told to do multiple things and uh, they think that they have to do all of these things at once. Not at all, right? So you can start off with one thing at a time. So focus on pen testing CTFs, learn about the basics of pen testing, the various tools, utilities used. Then you can move on to something like Python, you know, start developing Python scripts to automate stuff like, uh, like network scans, uh, ping sweeps. You already work at a bank, so I'm guessing you pretty much have some experience with this, either through writing bash scripts. So in your case, I would say the, the learning curve will be quite flat or will be flattened primarily because you've been in the industry already. So some of the skills um, will not be uh, too difficult to pick up. So I would just recommend focusing on one thing at a time. Don't worry about age. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop looking behind you because you know, whatever happened behind you in the past, isn't, um, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's all about right now. Right, so that's what I would recommend. Very, very good question. Right, so we have a few other questions that I want to cover. These are sort of uh, just general questions. Um, and this is one that I get quite a lot, which is why I actually picked it. Um, so this was uh, in reference to me and Christy, when Christy was still on the show, where you know, I'm going to work on getting him back uh, on the show. But there we are. Uh, so the question is, Alexis and Christy, uh, play, please suggest a laptop for penetration testing and OSCP practices. Right. Um, so I get this question a lot and I really don't know how to answer it primarily because I don't know what you do. So I'll answer it based on your role, right? So if you're a, a student, that means you're going to be doing other things in pen testing with your laptop. So you're going to be, you know, doing uh, writing notes. Uh, you're going to be accessing the web, maybe playing a few games. You know, I, I, I don't know what you guys are going to be doing. Uh, you may be watching, uh, you know, consuming media, listening to music, uh, and then of course you'll be doing pen testing. So when it comes down to pen testing, um, as you already know, the first thing you want to do is sort of build a miniature lab, a miniature pen testing lab. This is if you're using a laptop uh, where, you know, where, where, where you're going to be restricted by the amount of resources. I know that isn't the case anymore because 
they're, they're quite you know, they're quite a lot of powerful laptops laptops right now that offer you up to 32 and 64 gigs of ram but that's the first fact i would recommend taking into consideration is you need a lot of ram i would recommend starting off with eight gigs four gigs is not going to be enough you're going to run one vm and that's going to run ex extremely sluggishly so I recommend about 8 gigs. If you can get up to 16, that's perfectly fine. Anything over 16, if you're still a student, is going to be overkill. Even right now, I, I don't have any workst a workstation that's over 32 gigs, and I barely even use half of that. Even when I have multiple virtual machines running, you, you don't need that much. So I would recommend uh, you know, 8 to 16 gigs of RAM. Uh, for the processor, I would recommend an i5. Uh, an i3 will work as well, but... Uh, some of the mobile ones, which is the one they put in, in laptops, are going to be, uh, you know, very, very restricted in terms of their, their performance. And there's going to be a lot of throttling. And uh, most of the i3 processors in laptops are focused on um, on providing a, a, a or they're really focused on providing a battery optimized experience as opposed to, you know, performance uh, instead of being performance oriented. So if you're looking for performance, i5 and i7. Um, as I said, uh, as for storage, uh, you know, the, most of the laptops now come with an SSD and a hard drive. Uh, I would recommend having a hard drive primarily because of the large storage space and the fact that you, can, you, you need a lot of space to store your VM files, which are entire operating systems. So again, as I said, uh, I would recommend a laptop with enough RAM and a good graphics card. Uh, as I said, most of you will say, well, what about a... A graphics card sorry uh, I got a little bit a little bit confused there and the, the problem with the with uh, with the graphics card and my recommendation is I don't know what you're going to be doing if you're not gaming then you don't need uh, you know an Nvidia or an AMD graphics card you can use the integrated graphics which is perfectly fine especially with the modern processors the integrated graphics uh, are extremely powerful um, so I'd recommend that if you're a professional then you pretty much want to get um, uh, by the way, I'll just give you some sample models that you can look into, and and these these are just my um, my opinions. If you're a student, I'd recommend getting a ThinkPad, a T440 or a T450. You can get an i5 or an i7 with a one terabyte hard drive and uh, eight gigs of RAM. And the great thing about ThinkPads, you can uh, you can actually upgrade them. So you can upgrade your RAM when you need it. You can change the hard drive. You can swap out uh, the hard drive for an SSD. So I'd recommend getting that. Um, the same thing goes for a professional. If you're looking for a laptop to take you through the USCP, you're gonna to need ton, tons of RAM and you're gonna need a processor that can handle virtualization. So preferably something with, uh, with more than two cores. Uh, so you're looking at something like four cores and maybe four threads uh, or something like that to four cores uh, or sorry, maybe uh, six cores, uh, you know, should suffice. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much what I would recommend. Get something that uh, is easily upgradable and a great option. There's a ThinkPad. I've been using ThinkPads for a very long time and they're just, they're just great. So heavily, uh, I heavily endorse ThinkPads, especially some of the older models. Uh, but if you need something more powerful, the T440 and the T450 are excellent options there. But that's just my suggestion. As I said, if you require a graphics card, then you can go for some of the gaming laptops. I really like the, the, Razer, the Razer laptops. Very, very good, very good keyboards. I've used them before. And of course, if you want to get a MacBook, that's perfectly fine as well. Uh, right, so that was that question. I hope I answered it uh, correctly. Um, so 
the the uh, the other question is i just received my security plus certificate and i'm currently looking for work does it carry any weight behind it or is it just good for entry-level work right so uh the the question is uh, what sort of jobs and roles can i get with the security plus uh so i'm not really sure what uh well, what your target job is because uh, eventually you are going to have to get a job anyway uh, regardless of the position but it's very important to know what you want to become or the or the role that you are interested in maybe two or three years down the line because security plus is an entry-level certification right it essentially says that you have a background in security so that means um i i, I would say you can pretty much get a um uh I, I don't get into security roles because I know it's very difficult to get in with just security plus because it's not really a specialization certificate. It gives you an introduction into security. So again, I, I think that you would be able to get help desk, but if you wanted to get help desk, I know that many help desk positions actually require some networking experience. So maybe the network plus or uh, CCNA. Um, either one of those two. So uh, you start off from help desk, and then once you, you you're in help desk, you then I would recommend shadowing the security team or the the security department if there is one wherever you get a job, and uh, start pursuing whatever certificate that's you know, that, that's going to get you into those roles that you're interested in. But the most important thing is to get experience behind you. And I would recommend starting off with help desk because you learn a lot about how organizations work. You learn about policies, security policies, so on and so forth. So it's a very, very good starting point. As I said, if you're able to get into a, uh, into a security position, that's great as well. Uh, but I recommend starting off at, 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 at ground zero, primarily because it teaches you the essentials uh, so that you're not caught off guard you know, when, whenever you, you actually move or go up a level. So that's uh, that question. And moving on to the final question, because I want to keep these as short as possible. Uh, the final question is, is there any difference between Android reverse engineering and PC applications reverse engineering? Uh, if so, then what should I learn for Android reverse engineering? Right, so this is a fairly straightforward question. And I wanted to select one regarding reverse engineering, primarily because I got a lot of questions about this. So. Is there a difference between Android and uh, PC applications? Of course, there's a difference. For one, uh, one runs on Linux. Uh, the other one runs on, um, on Windows, right? Or the NT kernel, whatever you want to call it. Uh, one is developed, or the Android uh, applications are developed in Java or Kotlin. Uh, the other Windows applications are designed in either C or C++. That's typically the, the language that's used. I'm talking about native applications. Um, so, of course, reverse engineering them is going to be different. Uh, of course, you then have to look at the compilation process, right? So, on Android, uh, you, you, you have your compilation process, uh, and uh, the Java is, I think, compiled to Smalley, and uh, you then have to reverse engineer that. Uh, and I, I think I've made various videos covering how to do this on Android, so you can check that out. I don't get into the nitty-gritties here. And, uh, you know, for Windows uh, and Linux, when you're talking about C and C++, you know, you have to reverse engineer that uh, either using a disassembler, etc. Uh, but it all comes down to the languages used. So if you want to get into Android reverse engineering, I would recommend learning about, uh, number one, how Android applications are made, or how they're developed, how they're compiled, how they run on the Linux, uh, on, on the Android operating system. So 
the thing you need to understand about applications on Android, if I just, I just need to clarify this because again, this is something that's not uh, very well understood. From a security perspective, Android applications typically run in their own uh, virtual machine. Um, and uh, the other thing that I wanted to add on top of that is for every application on your Android device, uh, that application is given a unique user ID or it, it, that application is added as a user on the system. So you need to understand the differences between how applications are run on Android uh, and how they're going to be run on Windows, you know. So on Android, things are handled much differently. They're segregated based on user accounts. So every application has a unique user account and they're added to particular groups. Uh, based on their permissions, right? And I'll be making videos covering Android reverse engineering, uh, but as I said, it's very important to understand, number one, how to reverse engineer uh, the code, to understand the compilation process and what you'll get out and uh, how Android applications work, uh, how they work. Uh, so I recommend getting started with Android Studio, learning the basics of how Android applications are developed, learning things like uh, the... Um, uh, learning about how they reverse engineer uh, using two tools like APK tool uh, or or, or um, what was what's the other tool called? Um, I don't actually remember that. Uh, but one of the distributions that's currently available that has all of these tools for Android reverse engineering is called Santoku. You can actually check it out. It's quite outdated at this point. Uh, last I checked, um, if I can actually just show this to you right now, if we search for um, Santoku Linux, uh, Sentoku Linux, there we are. Sentoku Linux is a great uh, distribution that contains all of the reverse engin engineering tools. As you can see, it focuses on mobile forensics, mobile malware, and mobile security. So this is a great starting point. Uh, as for you know reverse engineering PC applications, and I'm assuming you're talking about Windows as opposed to Linux and Mac. Uh, again, we have uh, we we have that upcoming as a series, but we'll be focusing on Android first. We already have some videos covering the decompilation process of Android uh, APK files and how, to, uh, and how to recompile them and sign them. So you can actually check that out if you're interested as a starting point. Um, so that was pretty much the last question that I picked for today's episode. As I said, this episode, uh, I wanted to have multiple topics uh, and I wanted to have uh, you know various, various questions that address different things in different uh, fields. Uh, so that we are, we can actually address uh, or we can actually reach uh, as much or as many people as possible. Uh, let me know what you guys think in the comments. I would love to hear more of your questions. As I said, if you want me to feature your question or to answer your question in the weekly episode of CyberTalk, uh, you can actually add your question uh, to the uh, to the Google uh, to the Google question sheet uh, or the uh, the Google questionnaire sheet. Sorry. Uh, and they'll actually send your question to me and I'll, and I'll actually add them and uh, they'll be set up for the next episode. Uh, but again, be very specific with your questions. Don't be vague because I, I need you know some context so that I can give you a better answer. Uh, as I said, uh, that's going to be it for this video. Uh, I would love it if you could share this video. Uh, if you found it helpful, please leave a like down below and I'll be seeing you in the next video.